This is a new episode of my podcast, Say It As It Is. I am Andreas Ries and my guest today is Marcel Wenger. Marcel was born in the year of 1947 and grew up in Lucerne in the middle of Switzerland. He made a commercial apprenticeship and has done his basic military service. After that, he traveled overland to India, Southeast Asia and went to Australia where he worked for eight months before coming back home. After refusing to return to the army for his additional services, he decided to go to jail instead. During a trip to the US, he started to study Scientology in LA for a year. It followed another two years in England and one year in Copenhagen. 1975, he married a French actress. In the 80s, he became a door-to-door salesman. Later in the 90s, he became a writer, published short stories, even had two plays produced in Paris and had won a couple of literary prizes. 2012, his wife died and he became a widower. Marcel, welcome to the show. Okay, that sounds really funny. <laughs> okay. We are good friends and thus I might also ask a few very personal questions like, I see you again and again in the company of significantly younger women. What's the secret behind it? How do you do that? <laughs> What do you mean, how do you do that? <laughs> well, it's just uh, girls I, I met. I mean, it's not that many girls actually. I think you just met two and there wasn't any more. So, um, yeah, it just happened that um, I met some girls that were a bit younger than I was. But it's not a particular goal of mine to have a girlfriend that is necessarily much younger. Okay. So I happened to go that way. Okay. Now, let's go back to India, your trip to India. You once said, in India, you sort of came out of the matrix. You knew that you would not go back in. What do you mean by that? Well, what I meant by that is that, you know, India is such a mind-blowing experience. This is like 50 years ago. So uh, at the time, lots of people went to India. When I left for India, Unlike other hippies that knew already about India and things, I didn't know any, anything. I grew up in the city, and as, as, as you said, I had done a commercial apprenticeship, so I was just a regular guy. And the whole trip of India and, uh, and, and drugs and, and um, spiritual things were totally new to me. I had never even smoked uh, something like marijuana or anything. And uh, so this was all new to me. And it, it really changes you, of course, uh, slowly, because it took like half a year to get to India. You were in Afghanistan and in, in Turkey and, you know, all the places before. So slowly you, you changed into a new way of looking at things. And in India, of course, you, you hung out with sadhus and and smoked a lot of marijuana and stuff. And it was a time all the hippies were there, like the Beatles were there. I didn't even really know about the Beatles before I went there. You know, I, I met people who liked the Beatles. I was listening to free jazz 
before I went to India. Nobody listened to me just uh, from all these guys. So it was a totally psychedelic. Um, yeah, it was it's just what happened like 50 years ago. And how long did you stay there? Uh, all in all, to get to Australia, I took a year. And in India? Yeah, I was in Nepal, in India, maybe six months with Nepal. Tell me a bit about your experiences. <laughs> was, well, there were so, so many, but basically it was just, when you, you talked before about the Matrix, you know, I realized, I mean, I was, I was a member of the Swiss Army like everybody else. And then I, when you're in India and you, 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 you think about things, and I, I saw myself as a soldier, I couldn't believe I even did that training. So it was very clear to me that I wouldn't go back and do this sort of thing. So it was a sort of, these days a lot of people talk about waking up, you know. Now you go on the internet and people say they are waking up to what is happening on the planet. And in a sense, that was my waking up. That I thought, who, who the hell am I? What am I doing here? And I definitely didn't want to go back into the business world or anything like this. Even though in Australia, I worked again as a, as a, in an office. Okay. And what were your lessons learned? <laughs> I don't know whether it was a less, lesson learned, but... But I definitely decided not to, to live the life that I had been programmed for. Okay, yeah. Even though, as I said, in Australia, we actually had some suits made, tailor-made in Nepal, because we thought, we decided, it was with a friend, we decided to go and work in Australia, because on, the, on, on, on traveling, you meet so many other people, and a lot of these guys came from Australia, I said, Australia is a good thing. So we thought, why not go to Australia? So we had some suits made, and I went to Australia and, and put on a, a, a suit and went to get the job and did get the job. So I was out of the society, but still somehow, you know, wanted to make a buck and continue traveling. Okay, where have you been in Australia then? In Sydney, King's oh. Cross. <laughs> All right. So, okay, let's, let's move on then. Uh, you, you once stated to me that you refused the military service when you came back and you had to go to jail. Yes, that was the, the, the deal. Basically, in Switzerland, we have to go back every year to do a repetition, which is basically a good system, except I didn't really want to go back. So I just didn't go back. So the normal procedure at the time was you get a, a military court and then you, you you went to jail I actually had to go twice because of anyway so that was just it okay and what made you refuse no what I said before you know that I suddenly thought Jesus this is crazy why would I go and shoot that people because somebody tells me to okay. it, you know I knew I wouldn't do that and and how does it feel to be in prison Well, actually, when I went to prison, I thought since I considered myself quite a yogi, I thought I'll have a great time there and I'll be really cool and just don't have to do anything, can meditate or whatever. But uh, I got such a headache the first day. <laughs> It was horrible. Anyway, 
So I wasn't quite the, yo the yogi I thought I was. Okay. How long were you in? I was in, in twice to three months, but <clears throat> they, they just invented a new thing that they let you out during the day to go and work at the hospital. So it was just two weeks in solitary confinement, but then the, I was called to the director and he said whether I want to work during the day in a hospital. I said, yeah, sure. Because at that time I had enough of a solitary confinement, which isn't funny at all. So I went to work in a hospital and in the evening I had to go back to jail and sleep there. I understand. Now, how was it then when you were released again? How did you well, feel? Well, that was that was good, you know. As I said, it wasn't a big deal, you know. I didn't take it that seriously. It wasn't a big deal. So I uh, just, you know, continued living. That wasn't... Okay. Now, you said to me, you studied uh, Scientology for four years. Can you explain to me and to my listener, like explain for a layman what Scientology is? <laughs> well, that's, I think, a lot of people have tried to say that. Well, basically, basically, I was interested in the mind and in the spirit. As I said, not before I went to India, but once I was in India, that's all they talk about there, to be free and to to expand your consciousness. And um, yeah, Scientology, basically, Dianetics and Scientology is like Hubble, the guy who found the founder or the guy who developed it. He isolated, isolated the unconscious and he found out what it is and how to get rid of it. And that impressed me and I've been getting rid of my unconscious ever since. Oh, I see. And how how did it help you otherwise? Well, it, it totally helped me in every in every way. Basically, that's why I'm still doing it because it's it's just it's a basically a never-ending expansion. The, the the unconscious turned out to be much bigger <laughs> and more interesting than I thought it would be, and you know people have haven't got much of an idea what it is. They feel there is something in them that makes them do things or makes them feel things. But, um, you know, you just get the, you react to it and you feel there is something there that isn't quite you and that um, hassles you and makes you, yeah, basically, it's a weight on your shoulders. And, and once you realize or you experience that you can get rid of this weight or part of this weight, then that's um, a great thing to keep doing. Mm, I see. And where, where do you practice it? In the, in the church? No, no. I, I left the Scientology church because it was somehow taken over by people. It really became a sect. When I started in Los Angeles, it was really a hip sort of culture. Uh, lots of fun people and later it sort of in the 80s it became it was taken over by some people that turned it into a, a real sect. Since I was so interested in the subject material I still stayed on for a while but then finally left. So I'm now doing Scientology at uh, what they call the Holmes Org which is a free group because it's a free zone which isn't a sect and nothing is like a sect it's just basically 
technically getting rid of your unconscious mind. And where is that? That's in Grenchen. That's a part of Switzerland. Ah, Grenchen, Switzerland, okay. Yeah. Now, could you compare Scientology to other movements, religions, or philosophies? Yeah, you probably. I mean, it wasn't, you know, what, what I learned in India, it is all checked out in, in Scientology. So the basic knowledge of, of that man is a spiritual being and lives many lives, that is basically the same. It's just that in, in, Eastern, in Eastern ways, they seem to be much harder, you know, they say it takes a lot of lifetimes or many lifetimes or you have to sit 10 hours a day doing some meditation and things. So I don't think I would be hard, have been hard enough to try this sort of route. Like, like I know the, the Beatles were with the Maharishi and I once heard the Maharishi say in an interview, <laughs> when we say what happened to the Beatles and he laughed and said they were weak. Okay. Too weak, too weak, <laughs> which I can imagine because they were famous. They didn't want to spend all the time in the monastery or just meditating and presume. Okay. Now, you also told me uh, your, your wife, she died in the year of 2012 after seven, uh, 37 years of marriage. Would you like to talk about that? No, no particular. About what about about her uh, uh, leaving her body or about the marriage? No, about the the death of your wife. Mm. Yeah, no particularly. You know, it was just uh, she had developed cancer in in ninety um, five, uh, and and she she found out about it, and then. We went to, she didn't want to do the normal treatment of chemotherapy and stuff. So we went to, at the time, there was one guy in Germany, Professor Hockertal. He did some alternative treatments and operations. So we went to see him. And basically, she's been with more or less alternative people all the time. So that's just what she wanted to do. She didn't want to do any, any other. Okay, and 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 how did you manage the whole situation? That was, you know, it was just what you know when you have this sort of thing happening to you, you just do what on a daily basis what you have to do. But it wasn't like the whole fifteen years. She basically lived a normal life for 15, fourteen of those fifteen years. It was just the last year when she was actually really bad uh, that it was uh, hard. But the other 14 years, you know, we lived a normal life. Okay. And we went to America. And how was your life afterwards, after she died? You know, it, it, was, it was okay, you know, it wasn't, uh, it was okay. And that is one of the things when you're a Scientologist, you, you, you have less hard things that happen to you, affect you less. Also, you have the uncertainty that one doesn't live just one life. So somebody leaving his body isn't like somebody is here and then there is, is not here anymore. You know, people are still around, basically. And you, you, you know that, so it's, it's different. Thank you. Uh, Marcel, you are also a writer and publisher of short stories. Uh, 
What did you write? Well, actually, that's a funny thing. You know, my wife uh, used to be an actress before she, she also became a Scientologist. And then I had lost a bit of interest in, in those things. And at some point, she wanted to go to Paris. And I said, what would I want to do in Paris? She, she, she wanted to buy something in Paris. And I said, yeah, okay. But then what would I do in Paris? So since I always had in my mind that I could maybe write, I started to write, but basically more because my wife wanted to go to Paris. <laughs> then that I, at that time, probably wouldn't have started to write. So I, I just started to write when we moved uh, to Paris because that seemed to be a thing you can do everywhere. And since I was a Scientologist, and in Scientology, we sort of, when we learn something, we, we go to the basics. We want to know how this thing works. Mm -hmm. So I, I started to study with American writers in Paris. That's another thing, like in, in, in that's actually maybe interesting. In, at the time, now it changed a bit, but at the time in Germany, or in Germany or in France, if you wanted to write, people just say, you can do it or you can't. Some people can do this and some people can't. Whereas in America, people can study what they call creative writing. And they, they learn some basics, of course, that doesn't make you a, a good writer, but it gives you some tools. So that's what I did. I studied with quite a few American and English writers in Paris. I do workshops and stuff. That's how I started writing. Okay. And how many books did you write so far? How many books? Yeah, I, wrote, I actually wrote two novels that never have been published. Uh, and I still one day uh, published them, and I wrote a bunch of short stories. And as I as I told you, I I wrote two plays that we produced in Paris with American actors. I, I actually, in order to study writing, I had to write in English mm -hmm. because, as I said, in German you couldn't even. It was just not a thing that was taught. So I started to write in English, and, and uh, even now I'm in a writer's group in Paris with all English and American writers. So, okay. But uh, the place were also in English. And what about your literary prizes you got? You have gotten? Well, this is what I got the short story prize in Switzerland, and then I got uh, like a government, what they, they call it, like an award for my novel. You, you can present novels to the to the government and then they when then they think you that would be a project that they would want to give you some money for, then they give you some money from mine. Those were the two things I got, which was nice because I never made any money. When you publish short stories, you don't get paid, you know, or maybe twenty dollars or something like this. So it's basically not the, the, the type of things I wrote. You don't really make any money. So it's kind of nice that you get an acknowledgement if you win the prize, but that is not more important than this. Okay. Are you currently writing a new book? No, I'm not actually. <clears throat> Those two novels are part of a trilogy, but um, I haven't written the third one. <laughs> what I'm doing in Scientology is so interesting that it, writing somehow is not that interesting. <laughs> okay. It's, but I might still write the third one and then try to get them published after all. Mm. But it's the thing I can do well. I mean, basically, it's the thing I had the most success of 
with the things I did this lifetime, which which is a thing that most people always like. And I do other things, not to everybody always likes. <laughs> yeah, I see. Now I know you had. Uh, now we got to a more serious topic. I know you had a heart attack last year. Oh. When was that exactly? How was that? You asked. No, when uh, was that? I think that was about uh, pretty much three years ago. Yeah? Uh, already, okay. And w what were the circumstances? If you, if you want to talk about it. Well, not particularly want to talk about it. It's not a big deal. I mean, I, I've been, I, I'm a jogger. I, I, I run one, usually once a day or two times a week. And I always have pressure on my chest running. I mean, always for the last maybe three years. And I kept asking, you know, I have friends that been medical people. I asked them whether that could be from the heart because my father had a heart attack. My brother had a heart attack. I thought it could be from the heart. So they always said, no, 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 this is not from the heart. So actually I run, you know, with, with uh, quite a pressure on my chest. And one day the pressure did, and it usually went away afterwards. But one day it didn't go away. And so I, at the end of the night, I drove to the hospital and they said that I had a heart attack. So they put in some stents and that was it. And how was that for you? Well, that wasn't very funny, actually. But it wasn't a big deal either, so... Yeah. And did it change your view on, on life? No, not particularly. I mean, you, 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 <laughs> it's, it's more, it's, it, it's more, it's more real that we are, that you're going to one day kick the bucket. You know, it becomes more real. Yeah. But apart from that, um, I'm still running, you know, I'm still running. So I'm running actually faster since I have this tent in, I can run faster. So. Okay. So, but uh, you you got a good uh, cure or what? No, I, I, did, I actually stopped taking medicine for this. I'm not really believing. That's the same thing with the matrix, you know. I don't really want it. I didn't want to go into this medical thing, you know. They they then you you're told that you should hook up with people who had a heart attack too and be in groups and talk about it and stuff. I didn't really want to do that, so I didn't really want to be now a heart, lead a heart patient's life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. You didn't yeah. agree with that reality? No, and I haven't gone back to a doctor since. So. Okay. I, basically, you should check up and things. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm right, it's just the way I feel about it. Yeah. So now, before we go to the closing part, I would like to know, what keeps you up at night, Marcel? What keeps you up at night? What does that question mean? Yeah, is it something that keeps you up at night that doesn't let you sleep? Ah, I can't say anything keeps me up. <laughs> Actually, I told my my auditor, an auditor that's that's the person who who works on this unconscious stuff to do. I told her that. Um, yeah, the things that happened to me, you know, I don't react to things a lot anymore. Okay. You know, you don't have, like, yeah, like, uh, what happened? Oh, yeah, yeah, today something happened. And then you, you just, yeah, it's, it's, 
you, you become more even-minded. Let's put it that way. One does become more even-minded. So there isn't really that much that cannot happen. Okay. Now, what, what's the best advice you would give to your 20 years old self? I don't know. <laughs> Basically, I think, you know, I did a lot of stupid things, maybe, like especially in India, taking all those drugs and stuff. But still, in a way, I'm, I wouldn't really miss it, you know. I'm quite happy where I am these days. And maybe I wouldn't have gotten to where I am spiritually if I wouldn't have gone that way. Mm -hmm. So even though there is things that I could have done differently or for sure better, that's just the way it was. I, I don't think of anything in the in the past that sort of I regret, you know, regret or yeah, Your motto is going out of the comfort zone. The way out is the way through. What does that mean? Ah. Well, that is actually, I, I did this more or less all my life a little bit, but now, you know, on the internet, you see so many bright people talking about what you should do and not do, and to go out of your comfort zone is, is, is like these days, a thing people talk a lot about, and I think it, that's really a true thing. Like I started to do this Wim Hof method with cold showers and, and stuff, And this is something I was, was horrible for me, cold. So that is also a thing that you go out of your comfort zone. Or the way out is the way through. That is like, you know, you have a heart attack. And now should you be running? Or should you stop running? Or should you run fast? So whether it's right or, or wrong, I, I keep going through. I think to go through something, to keep running or to keep, Like cold showers, I've been doing them now for two years, like once a day. <laughs> It's still not the thing that you look forward to. <laughs> Every time you put on the cold water, there's a little, uh, you'd rather not. <laughs> But then every time you do it anyway, you feel better afterwards. So. And, okay. and, and that's a lot of things, you know, like now you start to do interviews. That's, I'm sure you, in a way, you go out of your comfort zone. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Hey, Marcel, that's a good closing word. Thank you very much for sharing your life experiences with me and my listener. Okay. You're Thank welcome. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.